welcome. This week we're taking a break from John's Gospel. Don't worry, we'll be back in John's Gospel next week. And also, we're not going far. In fact, if you have a physical Bible, you're just turning the page from John chapter 20 into the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read from the first nine verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Vision matters. Physical vision matters. During lockdown, my eyes changed shape. I went from being short-sighted to being long-sighted. Suddenly, my glasses were a waste of time. I had to get new lenses. And when I got them, suddenly I could see. Those on the road were very pleased. I could now see as I was driving. You see, our vision in life shapes how we behave. It's our vision that defines the why behind the what. Companies spend thousands, sometimes millions of pounds, to create vision statements. They want us to buy their product. Their vision is consciously and subconsciously telling us why we want that product. If a company wants me to buy their running shoe, they don't show me the shoe, they show me the vision. They show me the runner on the open road, athletic, fit, free, running without care and without pain, a little bit of sweat on their forehead as they stride out. They're selling me a vision, they're selling me an identity, they're giving me a reason, a belief, which makes me put my hand in my pocket, spend £150 on their shoes and then put their shoes in my wardrobe. Vision catches us. Vision engages us. Vision gives us a raison d'etre, a why, an identity. Vision matters. And vision is God's idea. Proverbs 29, 18, without vision, the people perish, or without revelation, the people cast off restraint. If people don't have a vision, if they don't know why they exist, if they don't know why they're called to do the things they're called to do, they'll do anything. They'll they'll get apathetic. Well, why bother? I don't know why I'm doing this. Life becomes mundane, boring, repetitive. 
if we lose sight of our vision. And God knows that. God created us with and for vision. God reminds us of our vision throughout all the pages of Scripture. Throughout the narrative of God's Word, the Bible, God calls people, calls leaders, calls individuals, calls groups, and gives them vision. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the earth and subdue it. Bring in the kingdom of God. God knows that if we don't keep being reminded of our vision, our why, we quickly focus too intently on the what. When we lose vision, when we lose the why behind the what, the what suddenly takes on a different form. We quickly become religious, protective, fractious. We suddenly start focusing on how we do something. We do it this way, you do it that way. We get so focused on the what, but God wants to lift us out of the what and restore our vision. These vision reminders are sprinkled through scripture and they keep reminding us that we are called for relationship and adventure and transformation. Not religion and legalistic adherence to a certain set of rules or practices. Here at Everyday Church, we have a number of key vision passages that we might refer to. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God creates gives their image, gives vision, gives purpose. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, God has called and equipped certain ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Why? to equip the saints for works of service, that we might grow up in Christ. And here, in Acts chapter 1, another great vision passage. The very words of Jesus. The way that Luke records it for us, his last vision preach before their vision changes, before he is ascended into heaven. And we're going to ask four key questions. They're questions we've asked before. They're such helpful questions when you come to a passage of scripture. What, where, how and why? What are we called to do? Where are we called to do it? How are we called to do it? And why does any of this matter? So what are we called to do? Acts 1 verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. A little reminder, Acts is written by Luke. The same Luke who wrote Luke's Gospel, the clues in the name. Effectively, Acts is Luke part 2. But unlike many sequels, the second book is just as good as the first. Luke opens his second book with this phrase, all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, by the time we get to verse 9, Jesus has left the scene. So surely this second book should be nine verses long. If this book is about all that Jesus began to do and teach and Jesus exits stage right or stage up after nine verses, 
Surely it should be a very short book. And yet, Luke's second book is longer than his first. Luke goes on for another 27 chapters, 30 verses. How then do we resolve this conundrum? Well, it's simple. See, Luke is recording all that Jesus began to do and to teach because Luke understood that the church, these first followers of Jesus, this somewhere between 12 and 120, were meant to carry on doing all the things that Jesus had done and taught. In fact, spoiler alert, when we get to John 14 later this year, we hear Jesus tell his disciples exactly this, you will do even greater things, greater miracles than you've seen me do. And they'd seen some pretty impressive miracles by that point. So what is it that Jesus wants us to continue to do and to teach? What are we called to do? Well, Luke goes on, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus' vision, Jesus' vision for his life, Jesus' vision for the life of his church centres around this. The kingdom of God flows through every page of the Gospels. Sometimes implied, sometimes described, sometimes enacted. And when I study Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, I find that the kingdom seems to focus on four key areas. These aren't exhaustive, but these headings give us a real overview of the work of the kingdom. Being a preacher, I've started them all with the same letter. Firstly, salvation. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to restore our relationship with the Father, the relationship broken in the fall in Genesis 3. Jesus comes to restore that relationship, to make it possible again. We're called to do that. We're called to preach the gospel the gospel of salvation. But we don't stop there. The kingdom of God is not just about my relationship with God getting saved, my sin being dealt with. No, it's about me becoming like Jesus. It's about sanctification. Jesus didn't just come to make a way to the Father. Jesus in his humanity modelled what it was to be in relationship to the Father. Jesus modelled what it actually means when God says in the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. Sanctification is the becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. In his death and resurrection, Jesus breaks the power of sin in our lives. And then in relationship, we grow out of that sin. We become righteous. Though we are righteous in Christ, we become more like Christ. The kingdom of God is about humble holiness. It's about sanctification. We preach the gospel, we model the work of the gospel in our own lives. People should hear us and yes, be challenged, but people should see the kingdom of God at work in us and be challenged. Jesus said that people should see our good works, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and glorify our Father in heaven. They should see something of Christ reflected in us. We are 
called to be sanctified. Thirdly, the kingdom of God is about signs and wonders. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand and then demonstrated the power of the kingdom in healing, deliverance, prophecy, miracles, water into wine, one-packed lunch, feeding thousands. This is the work of the kingdom. This is what Jesus says we will do. We'll teach it, we'll command it, we'll model it. As we, if we were to read through the pages of Acts, which I encourage you to do, we will see the disciples doing this, ordinary disciples doing this, driving out demons, healing the sick. The kingdom of God is about salvation, it's about sanctification, it's about signs and wonders, and it's about social action. The disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years could not have missed the fact that Jesus refused to ignore the poor and the marginalised. Jesus had compassion on all, he loved all, but boy did he challenge injustice. He called power to account. He challenged authority where it was being abused. This is what every believer, every follower of Jesus, every local church, every family of churches is called to do, to preach the gospel of salvation, to model humble holiness, to step out in signs and wonders, and to challenge authority that the world would be a more just and more egalitarian place. We're called for social action. This is what we're called to do. This is our vision every day. This is what lifts us from just the mundane of life into a glorious kingdom lifestyle. So if that's what we're called to do, where are we called to do it? Well, we read on. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Which you've heard me speak about. John baptised with water in a few days and we baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In a moment, when we talk about how, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, what I want us to note here, modelled here and throughout Acts, is they gathered. Where do we do this stuff? Well, we do it when we're gathered. We're called to work out the kingdom, to seek the kingdom when we gather. Jesus gathered his disciples together. Jesus gathered with others in the synagogue and in the temple courts. In fact, the Greek word that we translate church, ecclesia, literally means gather. <laughs> to be part of a church and not to gather is just a nonsense. The disciples gathered, the early church gathered, the New Testament writers warned against not gathering. The writer to the Hebrews in that incredible book in the New Testament warns believers against drift, against drifting away. And in the midst of those warnings, he says, make sure you gather. Don't stop meeting together. You see, the writer to the Hebrews knew that when you stop gathering, when you stop gathering with other believers, when you stop seeking the kingdom together, it is so easy to drift. We gather to study the word, to declare truth, to encourage one another, to minister to one another. We gather to be equipped by the power of the kingdom and for the advancement of the kingdom. We gather to wait on God and have our strength renewed. We gather, ah, but 
We also scatter. We're gathered to be scattered. If we read through Acts, we will see the church gathers, but we also will see it's scattered. In fact, at one moment, it looks like they gather too much, and so God goes, right, I'm going to scatter you. He wants the church to scatter. If the church just gathered, it would be like breathing in. And never breathing out, which would be a disaster. We're meant to breathe in the kingdom. We're meant to gather around the kingdom. We're meant to gather around truth and worship and community. But then we're meant to breathe out. We are meant to scatter. One of the reasons we gather is to be equipped to scatter. Yes, we can proclaim the kingdom of God from a pulpit or from a lectern. Yes, we absolutely are meant to pray for one another in our gatherings for the kingdom of God to break out and the power of God to break out. But that is meant to equip us and enable us and embolden us to be doing that when we're scattered. What is more, when we scatter, we're called to scatter everywhere and to every one. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says. Jesus is speaking to somewhere between 12 and 120 people here, man, female, young and old, but predominantly one culture. They're gathered in one place all together, but his commission to them is not just to scatter, but to scatter over every culture, every language, every race, every social standing. We don't just scatter to then meet in smaller groups in the week. No, we scatter into our workplaces and our schools and our colleges and our neighbourhoods. And we gather to Jerusalem. We scatter, sorry, to Jerusalem. Notice he says Jerusalem, the whole city, not just the nice bits. Not, not just the places religious people went. No, all the city. Every bit, the dark alley. Because that's where Jesus went, didn't he? Jesus was forever being in the wrong place with the wrong people. That's the kingdom call. In wisdom, to be in the wrong place with the wrong people, to introduce them to the power of the kingdom. So the whole of the city, Judea, the surrounding countryside, those with different accents, different lifestyles, different outlooks. Jesus, who broke every barrier, is telling the church, telling us to scatter and break every barrier. Samaria, those who were naturally hostile towards them and to whom they were naturally hostile those for whom there was unfair and unfounded prejudice. Those people where history said we don't go there. No, Jesus says you scatter there as well. You scatter to those places. He modelled it, he taught it. And then the ends of the earth, the unknown, being open to the immeasurably more of God. What are we called to do? We're called to step out with the kingdom that Christ stepped out with. Where are we called to do it? When we gather and when we scatter, and when we scatter, go to every corner. Jesus is telling his church, telling us, don't get stuck in church meetings. 
Don't get stuck in certain mindsets or prejudices. But he's also saying this, start where you are. Notice he doesn't say, go to the ends of the earth. He says, go to Jerusalem first. Start where you are, but just don't get limited there. Start with Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. But how? What an incredible call we have. What an incredible call we have. What a vision. But how do we do it? Jesus says this, do not leave Jerusalem. Hang on, you just told me I'll go to the ends of the earth. Yeah, wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? We wait and then we go. We wait and then we go. We have an incredible vision in God as believers. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Not hard, impossible. Impossible, not possible. They who had seen the risen Christ, they were in the room with him. Even they were told, you cannot do this. You will not get past your fear and your prejudice and your comfort and your consumerism. You will not get past these things. You will not break through these barriers unless you are inspired. Unless you are full of the Holy Spirit. Kingdom vision is inspirational. It is full of the Spirit. They had to wait on the Holy Spirit. They had to be filled. So do we. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, says St Paul in Ephesians. Why? Because it's the only way you fulfil the kingdom vision. It's the only way you stay in glorious relationship. It's the only way you get sanctified. It's the only way you move in signs and wonders. It's the only way you make the sacrifices needed to really challenge social injustice and get involved in social action. The only way we do that is to be full of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. It's about waiting on God, but it's also about going. It's also incarnational. Remember what John said, we'll just jump into John for a moment. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God's plan through Christ was incarnational. God's plan through us, God's kingdom vision through us is incarnational. We cannot send the kingdom, we have to take the kingdom. We have to be the kingdom. Our kingdom calling is incarnational. We bring it wherever we are. Which is why we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. If we're just full of a good idea, sometimes it will come out and it, sometimes it won't. But if we're full of the Holy Spirit, if we know we're incarnational, if we know we're meant to take the kingdom into our home, into our school, into our neighbourhood, into our nation and into the nations, if we know it comes from the Spirit, we will dwell with the Spirit, we will dwell in those places and the Holy Spirit will start to work. How do we do it? We have to wait on God and then we go. And then we wait, and then we go, and then we wait, and we go. That's how Jesus did it. it. says of Jesus, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went into the desert. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, stood up. Jesus said, power has gone out of me. He knew. 
So for us, how do we do this? Full of the Holy Spirit. And incarnationally, we let the Spirit dwell in us and then wherever we dwell, we look to extend the kingdom. But why bother? That's been a tough few years, hasn't it? And life is busy enough and all this sounds a bit like hard work, if you're honest. Why should I respond? Why should we respond to this vision? Can't I just leave it to others? They're so much more gifted than me. They've got more time than me. Well, Jesus commands us. Said in these verses, Jesus commanded them. <laughs> that sounds a bit heavy, Simon. Now I just feel guilty. <laughs> I was tired and busy and now I feel guilty. Gee, thanks. And we can feel guilty if we're not careful. We can feel guilty if we forget who God is, if we forget who Christ is. Jesus, the perfect demonstration of the character of the Father and the love of the Father. Jesus who calls us friends. Jesus who died for us. Jesus commands this not for his benefit, but for our benefit. See, Jesus doesn't give us this vision because he needs a job done. No, Jesus calls us for kingdom vision because he knows that's why we were created in the first place. Being agents of the kingdom, ambassadors for Christ, Paul calls us, is not something we add. No, it's who we are. It's our identity. Genesis chapter 1. Let us make mankind, man and female, in our image. And in the image of Christ, carrying the image of God, we bring the kingdom. Kingdom vision is our sweet spot. A kingdom lifestyle full of the Holy Spirit is where we find our true home, our true identity. We live in a generation that's desperate for authenticity. This is authentic, to be people of the kingdom, because it's who we were made to be. And it's not just who I was created to be, it's not just who you were created to be, it's God's heart for every person and every corner of his creation. We live in a world with great beauty, great joy, great love, but also a world that is broken. And in that brokenness there is pain and suffering and disappointment and loneliness and fear. And Jesus came to heal the world. And the kingdom of God, as it breaks in, is meant to deal with those things, to bring hope and joy and wholeness and health. The love of God drives out all fear. The Holy Spirit longs to dwell in us that we would never be lonely again. This is the world we live in. This is the world we are sent to. This is the world we are equipped for. Why bother? Because Christ loves the world and calls us to love our world with him. Is it hard work sometimes? Yes. Are there failures along the road? Yes. Is there disappointment sometimes? Yes. But is this our vision? Yes. Is it who we're created to be? 
Yes. Will we do it together? Yes. Will we do it full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Will there come a day when there will be a great crowd from every tongue and tribe and nation? Yes. And will we be in that crowd? Yes. And will there be others in that crowd because we picked up the kingdom vision baton that Jesus gave us and ran with it? Yes. Friends, let's go again. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's catch his kingdom vision. Let's see our world transformed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us by name and you've called us with purpose. In these coming days and weeks and months, would you keep filling us with your spirit that we might be sensitive and open to all the kingdom activity you have for us for your glory and amazingly for our blessing. Amen.